take a seat and put on your cross-shaped glasses because we are going to start looking at our problems from a biblical worldview. Hey everybody, my name is Ray Burns and I want to equip Christians to think biblically about every area of their lives so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, we are going to pick back up where we left off last time, where we are going to start looking at how a biblical worldview can help us to better interpret the problems that we're having in our lives. Now, last time we talked about basically what a Christian worldview is, how it is that we view people, how we view the human experience, and how all of that can come together to help us start viewing people in a way that is completely alien to psychology. Because again, psychology starts from a secular belief, which then leads us to just a natural interpretation and understanding of our problems. And so last episode, I really laid a lot of groundwork for here is what we are. Here's who we are as people. Now to quickly recap that, what we basically concluded is that people are naturally sinful, but Christ saves them and the Holy Spirit starts sanctifying them to to become more like Jesus Christ. However, we also know that we won't be perfect on this side of heaven, so we struggle with our old self and our new identity in Christ. We also know that our actions come from the core root of who we are and what we believe, meaning that sinful actions or mindsets are just fruits that are coming from a sinful heart and sinful desires. In other words, we love sin, so we need Jesus. And that is essentially where we left off last time. And so in this episode, we're going to see how this kind of a worldview, this understanding of people is going to lead us to a way of interpreting problems that people have that is once again, just as alien to psychology as a spiritual and Christian worldview is alien to a secular worldview. And that is because we are not going to focus on treating just what is wrong with us, but why it is wrong with us. We talked about that last time. You remember the roots and the fruit. The fruit are those things that we are growing, those actions that we have, those behaviors, even the thoughts that we have. Those are fruits. Those are being grown from something. And we don't want to spend all of our time just picking and, and, and fixing all these things and trying to stop sinning because that ultimately boils down to behavior modification. That is what psychology excels at. It teaches you to act and behave better. It is a a training method in the same way that you might train an animal to behave better. You're not changing the core of who they are. You are just changing their behavior and their actions. And that's not what we're interested in. We are instead interested at getting at what is growing these fruits. What is the reason behind what is happening here? In other words, what we want to ask isn't what sin are we doing that we want to fix, but instead, why are we sinning in the first place? And James chapter 1 verses 14 to 15 is going to give us a very clear and maybe uncomfortable answer to that question. Because it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So in other words, James is laying out a very clear pattern on how we get to the point where we are angry, where we are addicted, where we are feeling these feelings that are showing a lack of trust and reliance on God. And that is that it starts with our desire and our desire leads us to temptation, which then results in sin. 
because let's look at it again. It says that we are tempted and lured by our own desire. So what is it that tempts us? Why is it that we are, are drawn to addiction or drawn to looking at things on the internet? Or why are we so uh, desiring to just yell at our kids or yell at our spouse or blow up in traffic or throw things around the house? You know, what is leading to these temptations? You know, maybe we haven't acted on it yet, but what is it that leads to these temptations? It's what we're desiring in that moment. It's when those desires typically are not met, or it's because we are desiring to feel better in the moment and we believe that sin is the way to help us feel better. And so, because of what we are desiring, we are tempted to do something or think in a certain way. And given enough time, if we don't attack the root of where that desire is coming from, those temptations are going to inevitably lead towards sin. We are going to act out on our desires. So what we really see is that it's not important to, or it's not just important to kill sin. We want to get rid of sin in our lives, right? Like, yes, stop getting angry, you know, change that behavior, but it's not just enough to kill sin. If we're, if we're really believing what God has revealed through this passage in James, then we need to get back to the core. We need to go deeper and see what is creating these temptations that inevitably lead to sin. And we see that what we need to kill is not just the sin, but our desires. So we need to ask ourselves, how do we kill our sinful desires? Well, before we can even get there, we need to really ask ourselves, okay, what are desires? James says that they lure and entice us and they bring us to temptation. They are where temptation comes from. But what is an actual desire? How can we understand what a desire is? Well, if we boil it down, really a desire is just what we are trusting for our needs in a given moment. Let's just take a very light example that has nothing to do with either sin or or righteousness. And that is when you're thirsty. You know, if, if you're really dehydrated, your need in that moment is survival and you are going to be drawn towards whatever it is that's going to help you survive. And therefore, you're going to go get something to drink. You're going to go find a glass of water. You're not just going to say, hmm, I am about a day and a half away from dying of dehydration. Interesting. And then move on about your day. No, your need is survival. And so your thoughts are going to be consumed with what you need to do to survive. And when the opportunity presents itself to get what you need, you're going to act on it. Now, again, that's a very lighthearted and and maybe even silly example, but that gets us thinking that when we have a need, it's not just this flippant thing where we feel like we need it and don't think about it again. Whatever it is that we are dwelling on shows us what we feel we need in the moment. And as we start dwelling on it, it's going to lead us to temptation. And when opportunities come up to fulfill that need, we're going to think about acting on it. Now, sometimes maybe we won't. Maybe we're not going to, but over time, as we get more and more worn down, we're not going to find a reason to neglect and deprive ourselves from that thing that we are so convinced that we need anymore. Now, when we're talking about us as people and we're talking about our, our spiritual lives, then when we're talking about desires or what we're trusting in the moment, what we need to realize is that as people, we are always seeking what we trust for happiness and satisfaction. So whatever we think is going to bring us satisfaction is what we're going to start pursuing. Now, before we had Jesus Christ, we thought that 
sin would bring us satisfaction, that it would make us happy. And maybe a lot of you out there even have a testimony where you lived a life where you just kept living for yourself. You kept pursuing relationships or tried to excel at sports or school or your job. Maybe you just lost yourself in pleasure and got into drugs or alcohol or just wasted your whole life playing video games. Whatever it is, you know what it is to say, this is what I need for satisfaction, but it's not enough. And today we still do that. But as followers of Christ, we have two different ways that we can follow this. And we talked about this last week. We can fulfill the desires of our flesh or we can fulfill the desires of the spirit. We can walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. We can pursue one of those two things. And the thing that dictates which path we take isn't our actions. Our actions are instead reflective of what we are trusting in in that moment. And so as people, again, we are always seeking for what we trust for happiness and satisfaction. If we are convinced that we need to feel better about ourselves, to not be in as much emotional or physical pain, if we need to just feel less stress or feel less anxiety, or if we are afraid of not having absolute control because we are convinced that the thing we need most is control. And for our situations and everything in our lives to go exactly how we want, then we are going to start thinking and acting in a way that's going to pursue that line of thinking. But if we are believing and truly believing, not just saying it, but truly believing that we need Jesus Christ alone for our satisfaction, that our good, holy, perfect, sovereign God is what we need in our lives and, and to serve him will bring us ultimate satisfaction, then we're going to start doing things and refusing things in order to pursue that happiness, that need that we have. But going back to our sinful desires, though, ultimately, again, it is our need to satisfy our flesh. And we can do that in a lot of things. Um, again, you know, I gave some examples, but also our need to be happy, our need for a relationship, whether to have certain friends or have popularity on, on Instagram and, and Facebook and things like that. Maybe it's a romantic relationship or just a sexual relationship. Um, you know, our need for pleasure and whatever way that comes, whether it is physical, whether it is, you know, relaxing, whether it is just sitting down and watching Netflix for two, three, four hours a day. Um, maybe it's success. Maybe we are convinced that success is that thing that's going to bring us uh, happiness and satisfaction. Or again, control. Control is a huge one that people have. You know, if people who struggle with uh, anxiety and depression, a lot of what that's going to boil down to, if they're honest with themselves, is that they need things to be a certain way to feel like they will be happy. And when things are not going that way, when they don't, when they when they feel like they have a loss of control or they are not performing as they know they should or can, a lot of times we're going to start having just negative thoughts because the things we're trusting in are failing us because they are not in our control. But ultimately, what we need to realize is that what we trust for ultimate happiness is going to lead to our desire to find it. And that's what desire is. Desire ultimately is just the the response. It's the it's the the demand that we put on ourselves to go and fill whatever hole that we feel we have in our lives. And so I want to get a little more specific on this to help people really start thinking about where their desires are coming from. Because as I have examined myself, as I have talked to people and listened to various lectures and read various books and things like that, 
I have seen that really all of our sinful desires comes from really one place. And that is what I call pride, but others might call an idolatrous need to serve themselves. Now, let me explain. Because a lot of people, when they think of pride, they think of people who are puffed up, they're popping their collars, they're showing off and things like that. But really, what pride is, is pride is saying, I and my needs are the most important thing. That nothing else matters as much as me. And even people who say they hate themselves, even they struggle with pride because what they're saying is that I am not meeting up to a standard that I have set for myself. And I hate myself because I am not who I say I should be. And so it's this weird cycle where even people who hate everything about themselves are still filled with pride because it is pride that leads them to hate themselves because they are not meeting a standard that they have set for themselves. And so again, I said that this could be also thought of as idolatry. And I know that they are two different things, but they work very closely together to where it's very difficult even for me to separate which should we call it pride, should we call it idolatry. And I say that because what is idolatry? Idolatry is finding satisfaction in something apart from God. It is worshiping something and saying, you are what I need. You are my strength. You are my hope in this life. And for a lot of us, that is ourselves. We will sacrifice everything. We will do everything to serve ourselves, to make sure we are happy, to make sure that we are content and have everything we need. Or we will be so mad at ourselves because we are not giving us what we need. And so think about the things that we say to ourselves that leads to all of our desires. We say, I deserve to have this thing in my life, or I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to live this way. I don't deserve to be poor or to have an ugly spouse or to be ugly or to be unpopular or to have people, you know, say negative things about me. We will also say that I need, I need this thing. And we make ourselves the authority and say that we know what's best for ourselves. Or we will say things like, I'd be happy if. And again, we set ourselves as the authority saying that my happiness is the most important thing and I cannot, I will not be happy until I have a new car, a better job in my life. And so all the sinful temptations that we find ourselves in, all the sinful desires that we have ultimately boil down to this. It is an attempt to find satisfaction apart from God. Now, Already, I know we're not super deep into this episode, but that might already seem like a lot that we've covered. I've, I've tried to condense it down and not make this the longest episode possible. So let me briefly sum up or simplify where we're at so far. So we've talked about the Christian worldview and how we are inherently sinful and that we are that our, our sinful actions and, and desires come from who we truly are as sinful people. It's that, that fleshly nature of ours. So that means that our sin is a fruit that grows from a root of pride or idolatry. We are trusting in the world or ourself for our needs and where we're going to find happiness. We then desire to fill those needs. So whatever we think we need to be happy or find satisfaction, we are going to want to then fill that need. We're going to fill that emptiness that we have in our lives or in our heart. Now, temptation comes along because we find something that offers to meet our desires. So not, so we're sitting there and we have a hole and we want to fill that hole. And then something comes along and says, hey, 
I can make you happy. I can make you feel better. I can bring you satisfaction. And then we sin because why would we deny ourselves? Why would we not do that thing that even though we know is wrong, even though we know is bad, in that moment, we are convinced that it is what we need. And really, pause this right now and just think about it. Think about that for yourself. Think about the last time you sinned. Or maybe think about a sin that you hate, that you cannot believe you did, but you did it. And really ask yourself, why did you do it? Do not say you couldn't help it. If you say that, you have to go back to the last episode and listen again. But really, think about why Why did you do that thing? Why did you sin that way knowing in the moment it was wrong? Why did you do it? I guarantee you, if you really think about it and you really dig deep, you were believing that it would make you happy in the moment, that it would fill some kind of longing that you had at that moment. And I don't care what the sin is. You know, let's take something that's not by any means lighthearted, but something that is a little less high stakes or a little more common. And that is, you know, eating unhealthily. You know, you've had a long day and, you know, you know, you know that you should not, you know, grab a bowl of ice cream or get up and have a midnight snack or whatever. You know, you should, you know, it's unhealthy. You know that, you know, your blood sugar is an issue, whatever it is. So ask yourself, What in that moment still led you to go eat something that you shouldn't have or stop by McDonald's or eat just more than you should have? Because something in that moment was telling you that if you did not eat it, you would not be happy. But if you ate it, if you got that in your mouth, if you got it on your tongue, if you enjoyed it, then you could be happy. Then you could be fulfilled for the moment. That aching, that longing that you felt would finally be satisfied, right? Again, whatever sin it is that you are struggling with, whatever sin you committed today that you've had to confess to God, or maybe you need to pause right now and confess it to God. But whatever that sin is, always, 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 you can look back and you can say, I did this because I was convinced in the moment. I had talked myself into it. I had rationalized a way for me to commit this sin and say that, you know, maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's not good, but... Right now, I don't care. Or right now, I can find a way to talk myself into being okay with it. And even if you knew that you would have regrets afterward, you still did it because in that moment, you had a hole inside of you that you desired to fill. The temptation came along that offered you a way to fill that. And so you acted on that sin. Again, James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And then your desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. It's your desires that lead to temptation. It's your desires that are the reason that you keep giving in to a sin. And your desires are coming from what you truly believe you need in the moment. Now, You might be asking, okay, that's fine. You know, someone goes and, you know, smokes weed, gets drunk, cheats on their spouse. Those are actions. But what about feelings? Can feelings be sinful? Do feelings start from sinful desires or sinful needs? You know, let's call it pride, idolatry. You know, can we trace those back? Yes, we can. Because once again, 
just like with our sinful actions, when we're looking at our feelings, whether it's anxiety or hopelessness or anger or fear, we don't want to just look at what are we experiencing, but why are we experiencing it? So why is it that when God says, be anxious for nothing, but instead to trust him, we are anxious. We are fearing. We are not trusting God. Well, what's usually going on in those moments? And again, this is just going to be a broad discussion. This may not apply to everyone, but hopefully this will equip you to think more specifically about what you're experiencing. So a lot of times when we experience anxiety, we ultimately fear a lack of control. You know, if we have anxiety about the future, what is it that we're fearing? We are fearing something that we have no control over. We want things to go a certain way, but we don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where this cancer diagnosis is going to take us or how we're going to survive with the lack of a job or just what the world is going to look like. And so we lack control of our circumstances. And so we, we, we manifest that as anxiety. But again, if we dig deep down and say, well, what is my pride problem in this moment? The pride problem is that we demand things go a certain way. We say, I can trust God. I can be relaxed. I can be happy if things go this way. If I am comfortable, if things are predictable, if I am happy and I am not negatively impacted by what's happening, then I can be happy. But since either we are being negatively impacted or we are so we are so scared that we don't even know there's nothing happening, but we don't know how things are going to turn out, then we are afraid because we we can't guarantee that we are going to be made happy. We can't guarantee that we that that our idol of self is going to be served and that we're going to make the proper sacrifices to to keep us happy and well maintained. Another thing that causes us anxiety is a fear of failure. So, you know, you have a test coming up, a job interview or things are kind of dicey. Maybe you are you know, asked to give your testimony at church and things like that. And you are just overwhelmed with anxiety and panic and things like that. Well, what is really going on there? What is it that you're actually afraid of? Ultimately, you're afraid that you are going to fail yourself, that you will let yourself down. And that is a clear sign that you are trusting in yourself because you're saying that if I fail, I cannot be happy. If my God is not perfect, then I, I've put my trust in the wrong thing. The thing that I'm trusting in is not perfect. It can fail. It is not trustworthy. It is not complete. And so we get anxiety about tests because, well, if I fail, then that means I'm a failure and I have, I have not pleased myself. I can't be happy unless I perform a certain way or we're worried we're going to get up and talk to people and they're going to, I don't know, laugh at us or storm the stage and tie us up and throw us in prison. I mean, we, we realize that when we get up to talk to people in front of people, nothing bad's going to happen. Nobody cares if we mess up our words because not everyone is a gifted public speaker, but we conjure up these doomsday scenarios in our heads so much because we are so afraid of being less than perfect that we become crippled by the fear of what we may or may not do. 
another thing is that we are just controlled by our emotion, that we don't have self-control, and so we just allow ourselves to be moved away by whatever extremes we can imagine. And we say, oh, you know, it could be this catastrophic failure that, you know, will end in me being absolutely poor. You know, just because, you know, maybe the, the, the your car starts making a weird noise and your mind immediately starts going to the worst case scenario where you're going to lose your house and your family is going to kick you out and you're going to be left with absolutely nothing because of where this mysterious sound in the car is going to go. And again, that is just a sign of a lack of control, but it is so extreme because you're not being logical or rational in the moment. You are just controlled by your immediate emotion and letting that emotion dictate what it is that you are believing and trusting in in the moment. Or let's go depression. You know, something that I've been you know open in the past about, something I've dealt with and still deal with at times. I mean, what is depression? You know, people say, you know, I have this label of depression. I am a depressed person. I have depression. But depression really is just a collection of symptoms. And there's a lot of different ways that we could take depression. But the two that I want to focus on is feeling hopeless or having a lack of joy in your life. And really think about that. God's, just as God word, God's word calls us to be anxious for nothing, to not fear, but to place our trust in God. God's word also calls us to have hope in God and to be joyful in all circumstances. And so what are some ways that we can look at our feelings of depression when it comes to just the hopelessness or lack of joy in our life? Well, oftentimes we are only willing to trust God in good circumstances. But as soon as things take a turn for the worst, or as soon as we start thinking of the worst, we don't just doubt God, but we completely forget that God exists. We feel that, you know, if I can't control it, if I can't make things well, then it's not going to go well. And so then depression feelings start setting in because we don't have control. We are not powerful enough. And so we just sometimes maybe want to just lay down and just let things plow us over because we feel like we have no control in the situation. And so we just don't want to try. Uh, depression also sets in after we have failed at something and we just, we can't imagine trying anymore. You know, we've tried so hard at something. Maybe, you know, let's take a relationship, for example, you know, we tried so hard and we put so much trust and faith in that person and they left us. They, you know, committed adultery against us, whatever it is. And so we spiral down into depression. But what's happened? God hasn't changed. The one who cannot fail us is still on the throne. So what is it that we are hopeless about? What is it that, that has caused us to see everything as horrible and miserable? Well, it's because we are placing our trust in that relationship for our happiness. We were saying that I need this person or I need this relationship to be happy. And when that fails us, then the thing that we were trusting in is the thing that fails us. Everything that we hung our whole identity on has crumbled. It has failed us. It is imperfect. And so we collapse right along with it. Other times, idolatry or uh, depression can come from just a small understanding of God. You know, we if we think of God as this distant being, someone who made the universe but then kind of left us to ourselves, or if we feel like everything is up to us, we have to perform well, we have to handle all of our business, and it's all up to us whether we succeed or fail. And if we are at least honest enough with ourselves to realize, 
I can't do anything. I can't do this. I can't make it happen. I don't have power. Instead of turning to God, who is sovereign, who is in control, we just give up and say, I can't do it so nothing can be done. That's because we have a small understanding of God. We are already approaching our life and our problems and our difficulties with the understanding that it's up to us and we real and we know we aren't enough. But instead of turning to the one who is, we just turn backwards in ourselves and say, there's nothing that can be done. It's all hopeless. There's no point in even trying. Now, that's just kind of a taste of what it looks like to interpret our, our struggles, whether our actions or our emotions through a biblical worldview. Now, if you're wondering if I'm saying that it is a sin to feel depressed, um, all I can say is stick around in the next episode where I'm going to do a case study on myself and I'm going to explore what I learned about my own depression that might hopefully give you some illumination in understanding your own. But to sum up, we see though that even emotional problems can find their root in pride because it's often just a reaction to our lack of control or it's a reaction to something that we placed our trust in for happiness failing us. So it's pride or it's a form of idolatry. And these often, very often, maybe not always, but these are often the best things to start looking at when it comes to trying to understand why we feel how we feel or why we are doing the things that we're doing. Don't just look at the actions themselves. Don't just look at the thoughts themselves, but look at the heart that they are coming from. Look at the needs that you are believing that you need to have. You know, the, the, the things you're trusting in for happiness and satisfaction. Look at how those are leading you to a desire to find something to fill that gap, to, to fill that hole that you feel needs to be filled. And so to sum up how we interpret, how we begin with a biblical worldview and then interpret through a biblical worldview. There's two things that I want to make very clear. Number one is that I'm not saying that everything you do that's bad or negative is a sin problem. Now, I will say it usually is. It will be very hard for someone to truly be that unique case where this just doesn't apply to them. They don't need Jesus for their problems. And I say that because... As I've explained in my episode on how our bodies and souls are basically linked together, I am fully aware that science and, and you know brain surgeons and things like that have shown us that you can pop open a person's head and you can poke their brain to make them feel and experience certain feelings. I realize that it is not just, we are not just this physical robot with a spirit inside that does all the thinking for us. I know. I, I will fight for the fact that our bodies and souls are very closely linked. And I know that our physical can affect our spiritual lives. You know, the simple example I like to give is when you're tired, you're more tempted towards anger. When you're hungry, you're more tempted towards anger or impatience and things like that. And likewise, our our, our anxiety, our anger, those can have physical effects on our bodies. But if you are someone who is sitting here or you're, or you're talking to someone and they're saying, I'm just, I just have a chemical imbalance or it's all biological. It's not spiritual at all. I'm not in sin. The one thing I really, 
really want to emphasize is the importance of being tested. Because I've talked to so many people, and again, I was someone who are told, oh, you just have a chemical imbalance. You don't produce enough serotonin. It's, it's all brain chemicals. They're, your brain chemicals aren't right. And two problems with that. One, again, like I've said in a previous episode, nobody tests this. You are given a physical diagnosis with no physical test being done. Someone listens to your symptoms and says, oh, here's what you have. And I'm sorry, I would not want a doctor telling me I had bone cancer without doing a scan. I don't want to hear that I need an organ transplant without them at least doing some kind of physical confirmation that indeed I need an organ transplant. And yet when it comes to something like our emotional health, people will, will have their whole lives radically changed simply because they told a doctor how they feel and the doctor told them, here is what your brain looks like. So get tested, get a true confirmation that it truly is something that you have no control over. And number two problem that I have with this is that more and more doctors are actually abandoning the whole chemical imbalance idea because this is something that honestly has never been tested. It's been an assumption that has just been kind of popularized throughout the years and people just assume that's what it is. And so doctors, unfortunately, are giving these diagnoses and creating prescriptions and things like that for people to help balance out their chemicals without really knowing if that's what needs to be done or what they are actually doing to someone's brain. And again, the reason that this all makes sense, though, and the reason why, you know, I don't think doctors are, you know, just evil or lazy or irresponsible is that all of psychology is done through a secular, naturalistic worldview. And so if everything you think, everything you feel and experience is from your brain, then obviously if you are feeling something that is unnatural, it's abnormal, then there has to be something unnatural or abnormal going on in your brain because that is the only option that psychologists have is to blame it on your biology. And more and more, you know, people can point to things other than the brain. You know, the, you know people will point to your diet or different things in your environment and, and all that. But ultimately, all of this comes from a very secular worldview that says if you are experiencing something negative, it is because of natural reasons. And you are given the excuse not to pursue it any further because you're just a victim. The only thing you can do is change the natural things in your life and hope for the best. But again, all that to say, I'm, I do recognize, though, that it is possible that someone is just naturally experiencing something in their brain where their their chemicals are firing off and creating a sense of anxiety or a sense of depression. But don't just say, oh, well, a doctor told me and so that's what I am. Confirm that you do indeed have bone cancer, that you do need an organ transplant before you let a doctor start doing things to your body. Or at the very least, ask them to show you how you can know that this is what you need while they're treating you. You know, I'm not saying just outright reject things, but, you know, just be responsible. That's that's really what this is a call to is be responsible and don't just say, oh, well, I was told this. And so that's what it is without any testing being done on a physical diagnosis. Um, but then number two 
is I am not saying the opposite, and that is, oh, just pray and and things will get better. You know, you're having a spiritual issue, so just, you know, have you prayed to God? Have you repented? That is also not what I'm saying, because I find that ridiculously lazy, very spiritually dishonest, and obviously incredibly harmful to people, because that does nothing to equip someone to think about why they're experiencing what they're experiencing. You know, if I just if I just say to someone, oh, you know, you're depressed, you're angry, you're struggling with addiction, just pray and it'll get better. It sounds so good, but that gives someone nothing. It gives them no guidance, no discipleship. It does nothing to equip them to understand who they are as a person I, I, you know, and to understand themselves and their problems through a biblical worldview. So this is not just some lazy thing where I say, oh, just pray and you'll be better because that's not at all what I'm saying. It is hard. You know, the things that I'm proposing, the the interpretive method that this demands is brutal. Because when we begin with that biblical worldview, we have to really be honest about how depraved and hopeless and sinful and wicked and evil we truly are at our core. Without Jesus Christ in our lives, we have to admit that we have no good in us. And for us to genuinely think and believe that is hard because all of us are the hero in our stories. All of us think that we are generally good. We see some negative things, but we generally think we are above average. We're basically okay people. But to really say we are at the core rotten requires a level of brutal honesty that is hard. It is hard for us to do for ourselves but this kind of interpretation demands it because it removes all these safeguards that we set up that says, oh, I can't help it. It's just who I am. I'm a victim. I'm basically good. It removes that. It removes our our works-based idea of salvation because it's we can't fix ourselves by saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm anxious. I just need to work on thinking more positively or I'm lazy. I just need to get up and, and, and work harder and do stuff. You know, I, I'm addicted to, to drugs. I just need to say no to drugs and, and be a, a good member of the D.A.R.E. program from elementary school. You know, this way of thinking removes those safeguards because it isn't just about fix the problem and you fixed everything. But instead, yes, fix the problem. Please say no to drugs. But then figure out what is it about you, about who you truly are that is desiring that sinful thing or that is dwelling on that kind of sinful mentality. And a lot of times that can be not just an uncomfortable thing, but it can even challenge our identity because there are so many people who are wrapped up in they are this diagnosis. They will, you know, some, you know, maybe some of you or maybe people, you know, you know that you can look at someone's wall and they're constantly posting these mental health things or things about this diagnosis that they have about, you know, their, their psychological disorders and things like that. And people make this a piece of who they are. And so for you to tell someone or for me to tell you or for you to tell yourself that your anxiety, your depression, your anger, your addiction, your gossiping, your your negative thoughts, that those are things that can be changed, but you suffer under them because of your choices. That means that it's not who that person is. It's just what they've chosen to do. And all these excuses that they've had, all of these reasons and these 
these confirmations from psychology that says, oh, here's who I am. Here's why I feel the way I feel. This challenges that because this makes someone really evaluate why they do the things that they do. And it's not just about behavior modification. It is about a pure heart change towards Jesus Christ. And then further with that, another thing that makes this so difficult is that we have to deal with the choice of walking the flesh or walking the spirit. And that these feelings we had where we, we felt like this decision was so good, you know, to get, you know, to, to say that getting angry is, a, is something that we feel will make us happy. We have to really admit that. We have to say that, you know, when I choose to get angry and walk in the flesh, it's because in that moment, I think that cussing out my kids or screaming at my wife or or having physical outbursts of anger where I'm throwing stuff around the house or stomping around or slamming doors. In that moment, I am trusting that that is going to bring me the ultimate satisfaction and happiness in that moment to hurt someone I love, to scare someone I love. To really admit that that is done because we feel that it'll make us happy to hurt them is so hard because once again, that challenges the idea we have, the picture that we've created of ourselves that we're basically good, but we just can't help it. And for a lot of people, they have to admit that their circumstances aren't special or unique. There's a lot of people who say, I know that that works for some people, but I'm different. It That's not how it is with me. And again, when the vast majority of people are saying that they are unique, that their circumstance is different, we have to really question how unique that makes it. Because God's word is so clear, as I've shown over the last, especially last episode, where our sinful desires comes from, why it is that we do what we do, and, and how that originates in who we truly are. It is reflective of who we truly are. And to admit that we are just like everyone else, that the that God's word has truly called us out on our sin and on our sinful desires is very hard. It's very brutal. And it's not something most people want to admit because there is so much that we have to examine about ourselves because it's not just treat the anger, treat the addiction, treat the feelings, but instead treat who we are. Treat our true, genuine, deep down desires that reflect who we are. It is so much harder. It is so much more exhausting. But as we'll discuss in a couple episodes, it's also really the only option that we have if we want to walk in the victory of Jesus Christ and not walk in victory of psychology. Now, if you are someone who is ready and willing and desiring to honestly examine your heart and your life. One valuable tool I found was from a man named Brad Bigney. And I'm pretty sure this was in his book, The Gospel Treason. But um, in it, he talks about how just how, how rampant idolatry is in our lives and in our hearts and how it leads us away from Jesus Christ time and time again. And in it, he gives this really great test. And so I really want to give him credit on this. Um, but in order to identify pride or idolatry in our lives, in other words, finding ways where we try to make ourselves happy by the world standards or by standards that we set for ourselves, um, here are some things that Brad Bigney says that we can ask ourselves to, to identify if something is an idol in our lives. So you, you look at that idol, maybe it's your spouse, your kids, uh, your job, uh, even your how people think about you. 
Ask yourself, when you think about that thing, do you say, if I only had this, I'd be happy? Or do you say, if I can't have it, I'm going to react in sin? Or if you fear losing that thing, will you react sinfully? In other words, to to identify an idol in your life, ask yourself, are you relying on it for your happiness and saying, if I, if I had this, I'd be happy. If I can't have it, I won't be happy. Um, do you react sinfully in order to get it? Or will you react sinfully if you fear losing it? And that's a really great way to start understanding that, that core foundation, that basic root of our sin in that we are sinning because we feel like it's what we need. And so we will sin to get it, or we will sin if we can't have it, or we will fall apart if we can or can't have it. And again, as we saw in James, when we start desiring that thing, we're going to look around for a way to fill it and to find it. And then temptation comes whenever something comes along that promises to give us what we need. And then we simply act, we sin in order to meet the need of that idol or that pride in our hearts. And so to wrap this up, I want to talk about just the benefits of when we just start interpreting things this way. This is, we haven't even gotten to the solution yet. That's two episodes from now. But when we start interpreting our problems this way, here's what it's going to do in our lives. Besides just making us realize just how wretchedly sinful we are, here are the things that you're going to start seeing in your own life or in the lives of those that you are helping. First, we start to realize that we are finding our identity in sin and not in Christ. We are going to start better identifying our desires to walk in the flesh or our desires to walk in the spirit. And over time, you're going to start catching those desires when they're still just desires before they've even manifested as temptations or even or before you find yourself at that point where you have to choose if you're going to act out in sin. The more honest you are with yourself, the more you're going to start seeing all those moments of opportunity where you're choosing to walk in the flesh, whether before you realized it was that way or not. Uh, It's also going to help us take responsibility for our sin. We're going to stop blaming it on other people. We're not going to blame our biology, our upbringing. We're not going to say we couldn't help it. We're not just going to say, oh, well, Satan tempted me. Instead, we are going to say, I made a choice to sin. I chose to walk in the flesh because I was believing that I needed to find happiness in my own way. I needed to find satisfaction in something other than God. And when we start taking that responsibility, you're also going to start growing spiritually because the more we kill sin in our lives, the more we put off what is sinful, the more it's going to be replaced by things that are good and holy. So the more that we are refusing to walk in the flesh, the more we're going to start choosing to walk in the spirit. And that is how Christians grow. Uh, We're also going to stop being molded by a secular worldview. Because again, at this point, I, I feel that I've made a very strong case for the fact that psychology starts with a secular worldview, which creates secular interpretations. And so when we as Christians who know that all people are spiritual, when we start adopting that into our identity, we are adopting secularism to tell us who and what we are and therefore tell us what we need. But when we start rejecting that, then we stop being molded by a secular worldview and instead we'll start being transformed by the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And from there, more and more, and I can I can tell you from my own life, you're going to start realizing 
more and more often and continually just how deep your sin goes. You know, I often talk to people who, you know, as, as we're talking and as they're kind of seeing sin in their lives and they're realizing, you know, I didn't realize this before. And I can't believe I never saw it. And I always laugh because I say, that is evidence of how good God is. If on the day you were saved, God just opened up the book and said, here is everything wrong with you that you need to fix, you would die. It would be so overwhelming. But instead, God, because he's good, because he loves us, he wants what's best for us. And what's best for us is for us to see these kind of immediate sin desires in our lives now. And once we submit to him and once we surrender to him and walk in the spirit in those issues, we're not going to be perfect. Instead, God's going to then give us the opportunity to see other areas that we are walking in the flesh. And he is going to allow us to walk in the spirit in those places instead. And then once we think we've got it all figured out, a pastor's going to say something, a friend's going to mention something, we'll be reading God's word, something will pop out and be like, oh no, what have I been doing all this time? And that's just how it is. And that sounds like it should be frustrating because, oh, I'm never going to be fixed. But again, the point isn't to be fixed. It's not to be better. It's to grow closer to Jesus Christ. And that is the whole point of this series. It's not to just, you know, poo-poo psychology or to make you a better person. My desire is to equip you to think biblically about the problems that you're having, to address the sin in your life, not so that you can feel better, but so that you can be closer to Jesus Christ. Because the more that we are repenting and rejecting the fleshly desires in our lives, the more we're going to love Jesus Christ and the more we're going to rely on him so that even when we realize new sin in our lives, new, new areas of weakness that we never realized, or maybe new things that are popping up that just truly weren't there before, it is our opportunity to rely on our perfect and beautiful Savior, not just to save us from the penalty of our sin, but to free us from our obligation to act on those sins and to walk in the Spirit instead of walking in the flesh. And that's why this way of thinking is so important. This is why I made this series, is because when we we can't think like secular people and be surprised that we are still having spiritual issues. Instead, this way of thinking, this way of starting with a, a biblical worldview and then interpreting our, our problems through that worldview is that it makes Jesus Christ central to everything instead of just optional. And what this also means is that only Christians have any hope of, of understanding their problems in this way. You know, if you have someone who is approaching their problems and they have not been saved by Jesus Christ, they're still in step one of our my last episode where we talked about how people are basically sinful. Nobody seeks after God. No one pleases God. Someone who doesn't have Jesus Christ is still right there. And so the best that they can hope for is for psychology to give them a sort of hospice care because they have no hope of truly overcoming the deep problems inside of them because they are still living as enemies of God. And so they can certainly feel better. Psychology can help them to feel better in this life, but they are still dying without Jesus Christ. And they have no hope of forgiveness for their sins, let alone killing the sin in their lives that is leading to the, these fruits growing as sin. And so really consider what we've talked about in this episode and the last one about how to think of our problems through a biblical worldview. 
Because when we start paying attention to how we kill that root of sin, not by our own efforts, not by being better people, not by modifying our behaviors, because again, that is the whole problem we run into in the first place, but instead through relying on Jesus Christ, when we can start identifying those that root, then we will start seeing victory in our lives. And we can keep moving onward in our faith toward maturity in Christ. Now, homework for this week, and I haven't been checking papers, but I'm assuming you're all getting A's on this at this point. Um, homework for this week is going to be basically the same as last week. And that is keep thinking of a sin in your life, a recent one. How can you trace it back to pride or idolatry in your life? What is it that you were trusting and what is it that you were hoping for? What is it you believed would make you happy in that moment of sin? Whether it was yelling at your kids, being lazy, wasting a lot of time on your phone, uh, even even getting uh, envious of someone who got a lot of likes on something on Facebook while you got very little. You know, whatever it is, whatever big or small sin that you can think of, what is it that you were trusting in in that moment? What would have brought you ultimate happiness right then and there? And when you realize that the answer is not Jesus Christ that you are trusting in for happiness, then you can start to see what it means to interpret our problems through a biblical worldview. Now, next time will be what I will consider an optional episode. I am going to do a bit of a case study where I'm going to take the my, my problems, my psychological diagnoses that I talked about in episode one, and we're going to run through them very quickly from a secular psychology perspective, and then we're going to interpret them from a biblical worldview so that you can see, number one, what's wrong with me, but number two, also see what this looks like in practice for someone to really and truly admit just how deeply sinful they are and how transformative that can be when they stop trying to just make themselves feel better, but instead surrender everything to Jesus Christ. And so I will either see you in the next optional episode. If not, I will see you two episodes now from now when we start looking at the better solution to our problems. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.